and welcome to Campion Conversations, an informal podcast discussion of pop culture and the liberal arts. My name is Dr. Dre. I'm lecturer in literature here at Campion College. The short story is one of the most elastic and difficult to describe forms of writing in literature. But despite being traceable back to the earliest oral traditions such as Aesop's fables, for our purposes today we're concentrating upon the rise in popularity of shorter works of fiction, pieces usually around 1,000 to 5,000 words that developed around the 18th century and that have continued to this day. Short stories most frequently consist of some kind of narrative vignette and can comfortably encompass any number of styles and genres and characters. It may be centred upon the experience of one individual at a crisis point in their lives, or it might be more of a compression of events into a brief passage of description. It can manifest as detective fiction like Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's Sherlock Holmes tales, or magic realist interludes like The Garden of Forking Paths by Jorge Luis Borges, or ferocious social satires like Shirley Jackson's The Lottery. It can be comical, it can illuminate domestic dramas, it can interrogate human psychology, it can thrill, enchant, perplex. Literally the only thing it cannot do, it seems, is be long. To discuss the short story tradition and to share some of our favourite examples of the form, I'm joined today by Thomas Flynn, lecturer of classical languages here at Campion College. Good afternoon, Colin. Thank you for being with me. And uh, thank you so much uh, for agreeing to tackle what is a, a pretty sprawling and, and difficult subject. Um, you, you are a fan of the short fiction form, is that correct? Yeah, I'd say so. Would you say more so than novels? Are you more drawn to short fiction? Well, or? it's a question of time availability and what you want to commit, which sounds horribly philistine. I would sum it up. In that case, I have some limericks to show you. Well, uh, well I, I think uh, um, you, you can't sort of impro- impose a, a universal theory on on, on the sh- all short stories, but... Um, you can't, but that's what I've asked you to do yeah, today. I know. So. Um, a, a, a lot can be, I think, structure. The structure is like a joke. And I don't mean that every short story has to be laugh-out-loud funny. Not bad if it is, but different stories work differently. You know, a short story about uh, the miseries of the poor, I'm thinking of Chekhov right now, or oh, um, Flannery O'Connor, um, <laughs> needn't be funny. But uh, I, I almost they don't have to have the twist ending or surprise ending either, certainly not. Um, that can be great. Or uh, So the really great ones, they're not relying on that sort of build-up for the punch. But a lot of stories, they do have precisely a kind of a punch line. They tell you enough about the people involved to explain the point of the climax of the story. Right. And so, and so I, I think a lot of short stories, sort of, uh, uh, not necessarily of the greatest ones, but you know the ones that you, you get, I, I do get pleasure reading, certainly, um, they work like a joke. And right. even when you've read them before and you know the joke, I, mean, I laugh at jokes I've heard before, I laugh at jokes I've told before, I'm afraid. Um, <laughs> similarly, you can get um, pleasure from stories that even that when you know what's going to happen so uh, when you say like a joke do you mean there's a, a certain sense of, of of setup playing out the the, the premise and then that resolve that yeah exactly might be comic or might be tragic might be comic or... tragic or um just sort of interesting eye raising or you get the point you see ah, okay. oh, this is why he's been telling me this story this is why okay. i think there's a there's a subgenre of, of short stories, um, the barroom story, which precisely is, I met this bloke in the pub and he told me this tale. And then it's an inset for the whole thing. And, and precisely it's like like somebody tells you a story in a bar. 
The only time I ever had a stranger tell me a story in the bar, he turned out my friend, the friend I was with, was a medical student and he's diagnosed chronic alcoholism. <laughs> he's confabulating. Because you can see he was making, he was forgetting bits in the story, so he was making <laughs> stuff up to cover it. Um, so I've never had that experience. But there are, um, there's, I mean, it's this whole subgenre, but I, what, what, a short story genre I like, the science fiction short story. Arthur C. Clarke did a whole lot of crazy British science fiction, and it was the inset. They're all inset stories of bar stories, and so that so that the um so when if someone's telling you a story in a in public in a bar or something like that, um and you want to know where the story's going, why did he tell me this story? And, and so that's what I mean. So that so a lot of short stories, literary short stories that you read, they are built like that. So they're built structured to explain. Uh, so the reason why you're given all the information is to explain it. Um, but not by no means all, and some of the greatest, are, you can't really represent them like that at all. That's one one thought. But uh, to sum up short stories, I'd say they have to be short, and they have to be stories. That's all. Um, and then I discovered that Edgar I Allan Poe... to unpack that. My goodness, there's so much going on in, in your discussion just there, but I, I did want to throw in... Are you familiar, just because you mentioned short stories, a bit of a, a, a kind of a joke premise, even, even if not... Sorry, not a, a joke premise, but a joke construct... Mm. Have you read the uh, the short story by Isaac Asimov called the The Immortal Bard? I think is the name of it. Possibly, I've read a lot of Asimov, but I don't know that. It's one. Just, I, I'm not even sure if it's that famous, really. I only know of it because of the subject matter. But uh, the premise is that there's this. I believe it's a professor who is claiming that he he built a time machine at a professorial event they're sort of standing around sipping wine and the literature professor is all indignant oh no you didn't because if you did you would have brought somebody like Shakespeare into the you know modern world and he said oh yeah I did and he took your course and you failed him <laughs> that's like the whole thing is just a, a gag but I, I do see what you mean in some short stories that that idea of the resolve or the the twist at the end or whatever it is the the kind of the mission statement of of the story I resolution def- not necessarily twist yeah i definitely see that in uh, your discussion of chekhov i mean some of some of the best chekhov stories i think have that that component there's a very silly one of his earliest stories the sneeze uh, which again ha- has an almost jokey premise of this this guy accidentally sneezes on his boss at the opera and then just becomes twisted up in panic by the idea I'm going to get in so much trouble like he's in my boss and and so it's ridiculous and it's extreme and hyperbolic but then you realize that it is actually playing out a, a serious social concern is this guy is petrified that and if he loses his job then what's going to happen to his family and 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 in the end he dies which is like ah ha 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 it's so ridiculous that he panicked himself to death but then it it does reverberate back through the story and it becomes incredibly tragic while still being hilarious Mm -hmm. it has this capacity to to be both at once and because it's a short story it doesn't linger so long that you get sick of it it's not sort of preachy and in your face it's I guess the one thing that writers like short stories is if it's the idea that doesn't play out to a novel. Right. Um, it's not, and if they did try and play it out to a novel, uh, he, he or she tries to play it out to a novel, it it would get boring. But it's it's an interesting idea. So we take it for the story and, and then you stop because it's played out. Like given enough space to fully resolve itself without being flabby. And yeah, you don't, you don't need to get to the 30,000 words yeah. for a, a novel and just be flabby, yeah. Yeah, throw um, in some... B stories and yeah, exactly. unresolved characters and yeah 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 uh, or um, there's one story I was, I was going to talk about which I really like um, by W Somerset Maugham 
called The Creative Impulse, and it's about a very high literary novelist, and from her point of view, her very dull husband, and she's this frightful snob, and she's Mrs. Albert Forrester. She's unbe- she, uh, so she's the critic's darling, but no one buys her books. What she's famous for is getting the last ounce of humour out of the semicolon. <laughs> And um, and this story about what happens an instant in her life and how she and so the, the premise of the story is you don't know how she wrote this famous novel that everyone bought you know this this high literary novelist and um, but she's unbearable and you couldn't be in a novel with her yes. she, she'd be yeah. awful whereas in a short story it's, it, you can kind of do it but um, so in a, in a novel there'd have to be some kind of redeeming human feature would kind of take away from the fun of the character. So it, it, it so some stories, it, the short stories, it's, they're short because um, you don't want it to go on too long. I th- that that's actually a perfect segue into what I think might be my favourite short story of all time. It's not that controversial. I'm sure many uh, other people uh, find it the same. Is uh, Raymond Carver's Cathedral? Are you familiar with that one? So uh, Raymond Carver, he's, he's got this. He's very famous for this sometimes disparagingly called like a Kmart realist or uh, like, uh, but but very much in the, in the vein of like an Ernest Hemingway very refined prose sometimes sort of tough sentences but but beautifully evocative and, and, and it's incredible descriptive style and Cathedral is this story about a bastard like his main character is just this self-obsessed inward ignorant like willfully ignorant guy and you just could not stand to be with that character for for longer than the you know 12 pages that you linger with him on this one night where he has this exquisite transformative experience where a blind man comes into his house and it's about again just for for these several pages he's dealing with all of his ignorance and preconceptions about what it must be to be blind and his jealousy about the relationship that this blind man has with his wife that or girlfriend. I, I can't remember if it's actually confirmed whether or not they're married. Uh, but, you know, he, he's like a petty child. And you watch all of his tantrums uh, that, that are underneath the surface of his little interactions so that you can get to this moment at the end where he and the blind man actually share a, a moment of empathy and uh, it's just a powerful, beautiful moment of, of, of drawing a cathedral together on a piece of paper. And for that one moment, because you've gone through this experience of this insular, ignorant figure finally reaching out to another person, it's exquisite. It, it becomes uh, one of the most, uh, I find, profoundly beautiful uh, expressions of one human being interacting with another that's put into fiction. But it's only because... Of the short story form, you couldn't do that in a novel. It would be way too much, mm. and and it's actually that claustrophobic feeling that you get from the character comes from the fact that throughout the entire short story, he only exists in this little house. He never goes outside. You never see him outside of this one place. He only has interactions with his girlfriend, wife, uh, and this this blind man. Uh, everything is so focused in on this one time that when he has this moment of you know, transcending himself, uh, it, it becomes all the more profound. And, and again, a, a novel would fumble that utterly just by virtue of its length. It, it wouldn't be able to maintain it mm. for, for that, that time. It would become a conceit if it's uh, stuck in one house. Exactly, yeah, absolutely. You, you could maybe see somebody like maybe Albert Camus kind of playing with that concept or something, you know, like the fall. Or, but but even then, it, yeah. 
Well, and novels do different things, but which is, I mean, um, it is surprising that a novelist like Dickens, he regarded the short story simply as a truncated way to tell the kind of story you could tell in a novel. I mean, even though in some of his novels he does have some pretty good inset stories. I think in Nicholas Nickleby there's the Baron Groswig. Anyway, but there mm. there are where um, characters like they're in a um, on a uh, coach journey and um, the characters tell each other stories. And they're they're within the within the narrative of the novel, right. um, but Dickens in general, his his short story, he, he did write some, but they're not. He's not he's not famous for that. Is. Well, he's getting paid by the word too. So. <laughs> I mean, you meant, you mentioned Carver. There's a um, his collection. It, this famous collection is what we talk about when we talk about love, which yeah. takes its title from one of his stories, I think. And I was browsing around, but I've never read any Carver. But um, I noticed that what we talk about when we talk about has become a thing for a title. People, there are all sorts of things. What we talk about when we talk about feminism, what we talk about when we talk about God. And, um, and a, another American, modern American short story writer, Nathan Englander, has writ, writ, precisely wrote a story called, and the collection is called, What We Talk About When We Talk About Anne Frank. And this is about, because he's Jewish, it's about being Jews in modern America and modern Israel. But... Oh, which, and it's a short story collection. It's a, the short story collection is called that, and the short story is called that. And the short, and I, I started reading the short story on the selection on Amazon. I thought, oh, I've got to get that. And it's, a, it's a good one. And it is, it is a story that, well, he does end up with the bleak. But um, it, is, it is a, it's a good well, story. Well, the title kind of indicates that yeah, it might be going to a bleak place. Yes, yeah. Well, but it's, it's not quite the bleak place it had to be, but maybe it did. Um, I suppose probably it did, actually, thinking of the things in the story. But it's, it's, a, it's summing up, it's, it's two f- friends, two women who are friends in college, and they're meeting again for the first time for many years since one of them got married and moved to Israel. And when she moved to Israel, she, she was married to a guy, and they both became ultra-Orthodox and adopt the whole black hat thing. And meanwhile, the other one married um, a more secular Jew and became very secularly Jewish. And their friends from Israel are visiting them from uh, from Israel, uh, visit them in Florida, and so there, and it's their encounter. And the narrator is the is the secularized husband, hmm. and he, um, and so he's, he's he's very uneasy around the Orthodox Jew, uh, Orthodox Jewish bloke, and a, a little kind of teasing his um, his strict um, purity. What what slightly annoys me is it's a collection of short stories, and it's thematic, and it's like. Joyce's, oh, you're not a fan of that? You'd... Well, uh, then it's becoming work, because now I have right. to read them and then I have to pay them. Ah, oh, so he's, he's now drawing... Like, and, exactly. I think you're about to mention Yeah, that. I'm about to go to Dubliners. And so uh, it, it, so they're, they're drawing on each other and they're going at different aspects. And I think, now you're making it into a novel. And okay, <laughs> but what I want are short stories. So I, I, I kind of, I do like it if you get a, um, an anthology or a, a writer's short stories and they're just in chronological order by stories. And clearly they're just there as the writer happens. <laughs> I, I, the short story collection, it's, it's, rejecting is like rejecting albums as against singles. It's, it's, it's a bit silly but um one thing i was quite grateful of is, is you and um another one of our colleagues there was a discussion a while ago about dubliners precisely and i was quite surprised i hope i'm not uh, breaking any secrets that neither of you were uh, thought very highly of ulysses um which is not wait, 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 no hey oh, 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 oh okay maybe the other maybe... finnegan's wake i think we oh okay finnegan's wake yeah okay, right um but um... ulysses are, i'll i'll go to the okay cool. mats for okay right no, no that's fine um, I, but... I i will say 
Uh, part of my defence is that you're meant to hate the experience of reading it, but uh, I, I will defend it. Okay, a long, complex novel, so we're going to have to leave that one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah <laughs> but, no, not exactly but, a short story. Yeah, but, no, but what I was quite grateful is um, you guys, uh, between you, recommended a few stories from Dublin. So I thought, yeah, that's great. That's completely breaking up Joyce's collection. Yeah. I'll just read those. <laughs> So I, I get, I understand what you mean, though that 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 idea of you want the short story to to be its own universe just within itself, without having that sort of Marvel movie franchise quality yeah, of needing to we, read the we whole, read yeah. ten thousand other things. Yeah. I mean, um, I'm not going to read out the entire paragraph because this is Edgar Allan Poe in prolixity. Uh, but he's talking about the problem of reading novels is that you have to break it up. You have to break up your reading because mm. you've got to go and eat and live and do the rest of it. Um, in the brief tale, however, the author is enabled to carry out the fullness of his intention, be it what it may. During the hour of perusal, the soul of the reader is at the writer's control. There are no external or extrinsic influences resulting from weariness or interruption. So you're not going to fall asleep halfway through a chapter and then put it and then pick it up mm. the next night it's a story you can just read from start to finish and that, there's a pleasure in that because you know going in what you're going, you're going to get it it might turn out to be bad but at least you're not you're discovering that after several weeks mm. night after night there's like a narrative appetite is that the right term when you eat, yeah, eat the yeah. one bite of, of... the degustif yeah yeah thank uh, you. Hang on. no 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 you're right degustation the, uh-huh. that's it that's it the tasting bless you thank you thank you so you have pleasure in that. I mean, I first discovered short stories because I mean they're they're fodder for literature classes at school. Well, I, I, which can be yes, but, but this we had a very good one. Um, I read The Verger by W. Somerset Maugham, and that's a that's a story. It's it's kind of leading to well, it is precisely leading leading mm. to a climax. Um, but from that, I then got into reading the stories of W. S. Maugham, and Maugham is pretty good at hitting. You read the story, you see, ah, oh, that's the point. And he has a he has a range. Um, so some of his stories are unremitting. He had a rather bleak view of the world, I think. Mm. And that, that comes out in some of his stories. He travelled a lot, particularly in Southeast Asia. And so he's got stories not for uh, those who are squeamish about things like colonialism and imperialism. But he's not, he's not, it's not just sitting around making um, non-white people look stupid it's it's uh, there are subtle things about this of the profound inability of yeah. polynesians and europeans ever to meet minds I and mean, so there's the, that romantic idea of it needn't be but a white man he, he comes across this beautiful woman uh, in a waterfall in an island in the south seas and they fall in love and and he's got a couple of stories that are what happens next, mm. and the extent to ca- compatibility. And um... you mentioned that short stories are ripe for perusal in writing classes and and in literature classes, specifically because they they can be used to exhibit the diversity of the the writing form so elegantly. You know, you can look at a Gabriel Garcia Marquez and and talk about the component of time and the compression and expansion of of, of time or look at the I think I mentioned earlier uh, Truman Capote for for like character and the way in which character can get exhibited uh with, within a narrative. So they they have that diversity of, of form and style and, and structure that allows you to show 
the just the mechanics of prose writing uh, mm. it, it, it's base sort of construct and in, in how it's functioning dialogue and as I said, uh, time and character and point of view and, and focalization and all of those things. Uh, is there anything that you think short stories are particularly good at exhibiting and maybe in contrast to any of the other forms of, of writing? One thing that struck me recently, there's a, um, I've been, it's the middle of the summer, preparing for next year's classes, teaching Latin literature. Um, there's um, solo lyric poetry. And the great thing about classics is, Genres are strictly observed. I mean, not absolutely strictly, but generally, you know what? (laughs) A lyric is easily defined. It's a a poem sung to the sound of a lyre. Um, An epic poem is a long story um, in the hexameter meter, a uh, and and so on. But the so uh, we have uh, in ancient times they divide between choral lyric and solo lyric. And, and, and sometimes solo lyric is, or there's also sympotic lyric, which is usually solo lyric. Sympotic lyric is songs sung at parties and um, so on. But there's so in, basically Radiohead songs. Yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah, a lot. Um, actually, Jeff Buckley. <laughs> until you take the guitar and and like something out of Animal House, just smash it against the wall. Yeah, kind of. But this is it's, it's so the effect is the store the the. Uh, I th- I'm thinking of a number of lyric poems, including one that's extremely famous, at least extremely famous for its last line, which is uh, the eleventh poem of Horace's first book of Odes. Oh yeah, which is the one which has the famous phrase "carpe diem" in it, and that functions as a kind of a, like a short story, particularly almost a short story in the modernist mode, because you're filling in the details yeah. based on her next. She's addressed as Luconoe. Well, Luconoe is a Greekish kind of name. Does it suggest she's a slave or? A freed or a courtesan. She appears to be in love with Horace because of what Horace is telling her not to do. Yeah. He's telling her don't draw lots to find out what's going to happen. Things are just going to happen. And then, it's and a the, seduction too, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, the poem, the poem is a poem of seduction. But precisely, the context is all drawn out from the um, from the things that he's talking about. Yeah. And uh, the ancients would kind of recognize. You'd have to be, I think, paying attention if if you were an ancient Roman. You have to be really paying attention and read a lot of um, dry as dust um, commentaries <laughs> around it to be getting all the um, all the uh, angles in a twelve line poem. But um, it might even be eight. But the um, anyway, so, so uh, one thing that um, short stories do is, is precisely that is is they can get to the raw. So they work kind of like lyric poems mm. in that in that way. So, um, or I mean, perhaps a, a, an easier example would be something like Browning's My Last Duchess, um, where where you're you're filling in the blanks from what has been said in this monologue. But uh, so I, I think one thing that short stories really can do is they can precisely just present this emotion and you fill it in as a kind of gestalt. Um, and that, 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 that is kind of building precisely on, it's got to be short, it's got to be stories. You're not just picking a story that can be chopped down to a short length. Mm. Um, one of the most famous science fiction short stories, um, Nightfall by Isaac Asimov. See, I, I picked that as an example, except I know for a fact that Asimov himself rewrote it as a novel. <laughs> Which I think is a bit of a pity because part of the fun is is this sort of chaos in this building. So the the, the premise is, is um, you know, I'll come back to Nightfall. But the um, the thing think about this is there was the one thing they to answer your question. What they do is they address they, they can address sort of raw emotion. I mean, the story I'm I'm thinking of one one I wanted to mention is um, Chekhov's The Trousseau, which is 
um, narrator visit, regularly visits this house, um, which is the wife and daughter of a now-deceased friend of his, and he, he keeps going back in there, suffering the troubles, and, and um, the daughter is building up her trousseau in anticipation of being married. She doesn't have a bloke yet, but she's getting ready for when, and how this story goes and what happens. And oh. the, it doesn't have a happy ending, but it, it's precisely <laughs> a, it. a Russian story without a happy ending. Well, there are some. There's, there's, there, um, Chekhov. Did, yeah, the, the death of Ivan Illich is a scream. Yeah, yeah well, Solzhenitsyn had excuses. He was in Soviet Russia. <laughs> um, uh, thinking of uh, children. I think it's, it's called Children in the Ghana translation. Um, but it's uh, it's just it's a it's just a tale about what the children get up to while their parents are out and it's not mm. it's not a sort of cat in the hat kind of thing is they're playing games and the younger ones aren't quite understanding the games and it's this, and, and then it finishes and um so oh. Chekhov isn't always always this bleak stuff thank goodness um, but but that that story the, the trousseau the story of the trousseau is is a is a very moving expression of the hopelessness as they're also closed in in this house and that, the how and and the thing with Chekhov if you're reading Chekhov um it pays to read it and then go back and start again. Yeah, um, because you, mean, you don't have to read it twice necessarily, but certainly some of the stuff at the beginning you'll see. Ah, that's what he's getting at. So what? this story precisely characterize how he characterizes the house. I've spoiled it now, but there you go. No, no. How, how he characterizes the house is that, and, and he does it in quite. A, Chekhov does it in quite a few of his stories. Is, is um, I mean, this is uh, something that uh, this Poe, Edgar Allan Poe, sort of did a summary of how you should write stories, and one of the things he said, which. Is so obvious, but probably it wasn't obvious at the time. But it's become obvious because it's been repeated. Because it's good advice: is you have to know the ending. Yeah. And so Chekhov's stories are built, and you clearly Chekhov knows the endings. Well, my favourite of the, and I know we're we're heavy on the Chekhov discussion uh, at the moment, but he, uh, he is, I think, one of the most impactful, important short story writers in. But there are so many the traditional of them. form. You, you of, can't eat Chekhov. You, you, of his it's not like work. you fish. No, I want to read the short stories of Chekhov because you can't just get but any volume of them. It's also, you, you can trace a line. I mean, this is a whole other discussion, but you can trace a line between, like, Catherine Mansfield, who I think is another one of the most impactful evolutionary uh, writers in the short story form, was inspired by reading Chekhov. And, and Carver speaks of him. And, you know, basically all, all of the major figures of you know, the form you know, you know she was trace their lineage back to him. You know, she was inspired way. by reading him in German. Yes. She was clever. Yeah. And I think she was in France at the time, wasn't yeah. it? Some weird, like a Russian writer translated into German while she's in France. It's all over the place. But uh, absolutely, it's Chekhov, I think, is so impactful because he had that mastery of of the form and and I think one of the best examples of that for me is Vanka there's another early story of his which is so brief I think it's at most like two pages and is just so tragic because of as you were implying before what is left out of the story is is allowed to echo with this horrible import so it's this little kid apprenticed to a shoemaker uh who's writing a letter to his uncle to say please come and save me i'm you know i'm horribly mistreated i'm beaten every night i'm not given enough food it's it's terrible here just come and save me from this nightmare but as he writes the story there's uh, chekhov is a master of uh kind of narrative irony you realize through what he's writing that well it's the uncle who sold him off into Mm. this slavery he's a complete bastard and you know there's no way he's going to come for him and then there's the final kicker is that he doesn't even know the address of his uncle so he just says uncle the village and then throws the letter in the mailbox so there's no way that letter's even going to get anywhere so all of that 
horrible kind of and and again there's a little bit of comedy to it as well but but all of that horrible meta knowledge that the reader brings to it just impacts the whole story horribly like you're haunted by this little kid who's just left in that circumstance because the story exists in this little narrative bubble that will never be ruptured because Chekhov just put it there you can go back and revisit it with with the clearer knowledge of of how futile this letter to his uncle actually is but the the only narrative communication that's being uh, actually rendered because obviously Vanka can't talk to his uncle he never will he's talking to us the reader and that will just haunt us forever because we can't reach into the fiction and save this little kid it's, it's just it's brilliant like and, and again it, it all depends upon that uh, what what you as the reader infer from from the story and what is implied by by the writer and that the negative space that the short story form allows renders that uh, in in a masterful way again a novel just would bleed that out too long you could never kind of get that that subtlety of inference mm. yeah i mean and one of i mean I, as i say i think um it's it's good for the short story short form is, is good for speculative fiction because you can have an idea what if everybody had a third eye and no one else knew that anyone else had one. For example, you couldn't really work that out into a novel, but it would work. It would kind of work as a short story. Did you story. like smoke a bunch of drugs before you came into this? Recording no, no, I, I, I just happened to glance you over. Was, it. Uh, I was trying not to think of hey. an actual famous plot of <laughs> a, a, short, a science fiction short story. I mean, once you'd think, I mean, um, my thing that always makes me smile. You, you go into a bookshop and just pick up science fiction anthologies. Nine times out of a ten, there'll be a spaceship on the front cover, and the tenth, there'll be a robot. And and I, I, and for a long time, I I I'd always sort of thought of myself as a science fiction fan, and I'd vaguely I'd read one or two, and then I realised you know I should actually read stuff, and I, and I picked up the science fiction omnibus by Penguin. I recommend it. Go out and get it, kids. And it's got a cool spaceship on the front. I was going to say spaceship or robot. Uh, spaceship. Yeah. Um, and it's got the yeah you can see it there. Um, it's got this cool spaceship, um, and there are there are stories which barely even. I mean, you don't really think of them as science fiction. There's one. There's one story in that called the Snowball Effect, and from what I recollect, it's been a while since I read it. The uh, there's no no gadgets, no sudden scientific discovery that transforms anything. Except it's just sociological discovery. So in theory, there's no reason it couldn't happen right now. But hmm. within that collection is I mean, there's Nightfall by Asimov. There's also Answer by Frederick Brown, and Answer is a short short. It's a and it, this leads to the idea of the joke and so um i'll just recount it but the thing about answer is it's all about all the computers of the world are connected the universe have been connected together through the hyper pathways it's to create a grand supercomputer and they say i'm going to ask it the first question is there computer is there a god and then there's a bolt of lightning shuts fuses the um power points um open so they can't shut it down and it says there is now Nice and um, and even and because it's so sh- sometimes with um, the twist ending story, um, so even though it's a short story, that even though you know exactly where it's going, just watching it get there yeah. over two or three paragraphs is great. So uh, one, one thing that I I, I really like is, is the science fiction short short, um, and Frederick Brown was a master of that, but um, others did it. Uh, I think Arthur C. Clarke did one, which is the shortest science fiction story in the world which is about a guy who sits down to write the shortest science fiction story in the world, which is about a guy who, and so on. Uh, they, 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 so, so are you talking about the, the short story allows for the just the purity of the idea yeah, exactly. to maintain? Yeah, exactly. And there's 
In theory, I mean, I, I've read, um, there are vast novels. Um, I, I, was, I was reading an interview with a guy called Peter F. Hamilton. I've never read any of his stuff. Again, covers with cool spaceships on the front. But uh, the interview with him made my heart sink because he says, yeah, publishers won't take anything under 100,000 words. Because yeah. apparently readers want their money's worth. Whereas I think I want a novel that's short because then if it's bad, I'm out and I'm out before it's yeah. you know, too painful. But um, so I've I've, I've read I've, I've read some long science fiction series that would deal with an idea like the vast computer, um, and, and they've done it well enough. You know, they not padded it, but they worked out the whole thing. But um, there's that purity, precisely of mm. the science. Oh, I guess that's true in this? detective fiction as well. I mean, I, I mentioned the. Uh, Sherlock Holmes stories before but I do think that a, a lot of their appeal is that yes you get the character interactions between Holmes and, and Watson and the, there's a lot more nuance there than people sometimes uh, give mm. them credit for but fundamentally it's a snappy story it's like you, you get in you get out there's there's a, a, a cohesion and a precision in the storytelling there there's no sort of you know, you may have a red herring or something, but there's no... Uh... Or a red hair gang. Ha 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 Sorry. There's no need to kind of pad it out with excess um, narratives and, and plot lines that go nowhere. Really. Yeah, well, you're quite... And, uh, and even plot lines that do go lots of places and it's a rich, fulfilling experience, but sometimes you just don't want that. And I mean, I think the great thing about the Sherlock Holmes stories is... Um, what's interesting is there's very little, not, not very little, but there's quite a lot of not crime stories. They're just True. mysteries. Uh, and, and they're also, unlike, um, which I really liked the modernisation TV show, well, the British modernisation TV show. The, I Sherlock. Sherlock. I, yeah. I, didn't see, um, I didn't see the American one. But it always, it has to be saving the world. Yeah. And everything always boils down to having to save the world. And when's Moriarty going to turn up? Yeah, and again. diabolical web scheme. No, and, I, and I think, oh, really? Can't we just sort of have the skill of Watson? We, we discussed this, I think, with James Bond. Is it's, um, yeah. is, is There's just fun of the, the skill of the character on the human scale of what such a person can do by himself. And turning out that Holmes can is the only one who can save Britain. Because his brother's the head of MI6 or some other organization. It's just, it gets a little tiresome. This may be a complete digression that, that we don't need to, to follow through. But I would actually argue that the appeal of the character of Moriarty in the Sherlock Holmes uh, stories is specifically by virtue of the fact that they are short stories. Because Moriarty was introduced to solve a problem in a short story series, is he wanted to kill Holmes, he was just sick of the character, he wanted to kill him. But how do you kill the greatest detective ever? Well, you have to have somebody who's so good at being evil, and such a fantastic crime boss that no one's ever heard of him before. And, and he was able to do that because in the short story form you can just introduce a guy and say, oh, he's been there the whole time, you just didn't yeah. see him. Because again... There's what's implied and there's what can be inferred in the short story form. And so all of those gaps, all of those sort of empty spaces that exist around each of those little short stories can be filled in in the imagination by just one tossed off line. That, oh, yeah, he was always there. Yeah. Web of criminality, etc. Uh, and so even though Moriarty only appears, I think, in two short stories, like when he's introduced and then when he's defeated, oh, yeah. uh, he, he becomes this character who reverberates throughout all of the other fiction because of the short story form, because of the way that Doyle was able to, to utilise what's not said in a short story 
to give him a, a greater impact than he would have otherwise have had. If he'd have been turning up twirling his mustache in every other story or, or in every other chapter, as the case may be, mm. if it were a, a, a novel, um, there's no way that he would be... Uh, he'd be an absurd character. Yeah. Which, I mean, just, just to wrap that up, is, I, I think, one of the uh, problems with Sherlock, which I actually really like. Yeah. But eventually, um, Moriarty was so... He was dead, or was he? Or exactly. Was he? he shot himself. And he, he was so belovedly uh, portrayed in that sort of maniacal, scene-chewing kind of performance that, that was given in Sherlock that, yeah, they had to keep bringing him back, which every time he appeared on screen, you lost a little bit of that impact until... Yeah. In season four, it's nothing, but... Yeah, I mean, um, I'm a bit of one for the um, serendipity way of discovering stuff. Yeah. So, um, when that... I've never seen it, in fact... When that Benjamin Button film came out, I was browsing through a bookshop. I saw, oh, here's a collection of Fitzgerald short stories. Uh, the Curious Case of Benjamin Button. And so on. And I thought, oh, I'll get that. And I'll read. I never got around to reading um, until much later, uh, the Benjamin Button. But one story in that precisely, I, I um, do like in rereading it. You, I still, it it's packs a powerful punch called uh, The Cut Glass Bowl. And it, it, it it's a... The, the cut glass bowl in question. The point is, it's not. It's not. It's not something a literary student just sees. Aha! That's what it is. Um, in fact, the narr- narrator, at least one of the characters, tells you that's what it is. It, it's a um, a transferred epithet for the main character. So she is. I will give you a wedding present that is this just like you, cold and beautiful. And um, so it's the story of the cut glass bowl. And uh, so it's it's a present given to her by the the man she's thrown over to marry the rich man, and the impact this then has on her on her life and her marriage and her family and and, and you follow it through until the the uh, wait for it the shattering conclusion uh. <laughs> and um it's it, 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 it it's a, just a story i really like and it, uh, it's i highly recommend that so this um, f scott fitzgerald also was part of the great sort of modern push onto um short stories i think is the oh yeah yeah, yeah right. following um following the moderns but um i, I don't have much else to add except um yeah read uh, the penguin omnibus of science fiction and uh, if you like science fiction and if you and also the oxford book of science fiction which is pretty much covers the waterfront on the great science fiction short stories mm. i can't help you on detective fiction yeah holmes sherlock holmes that's all you need detective fiction <laughs> oh we, we're giving our recommendations oh i'm right? i am now okay no, I, I, no, that works. I, i've got to the end of my list of things i was going to say and <laughs> well I, can... I i would definitely throw in there and uh i mean these recommendations are almost redundant because anyone who even glancingly looks into the history of short story fiction will see these names pop up but i'll offer them anyway Uh, anton chekhov uh his short story fiction is phenomenal i think he was in fact a much better prose writer than he was a playwright and i think he's a pretty bloody good playwright well no he's his prose is just phenomenal uh Raymond, raymond carver uh exquisite uh work um, and uh, what we talk about when we talk about love is is a phenomenal collection. I think Cathedral, uh, and the collection and the short story is just transcendent. Catherine Mansfield, a phenomenal work. We didn't really talk about her as much as I perhaps would have liked uh, today, but she, she is just a master of, of character and some of the most beautiful uh, lyric descriptions of the world around and, and also just the uh, she's fantastic for getting the vision of a child uh, onto the page it's something very unique that can be very patronizing if, if done poorly and, and she's just a master of it watching the way in which society can indoctrinate 
the, the child into beliefs and, and how dangerous that can be. She's phenomenal for rendering that. I would throw in there just specifically The Telltale Heart by Edgar Allan Poe. I think it's just an exquisite work that really plays with that division between author and uh, reader and narrator. And uh, Borges, uh, yeah, uh, Labyrinths and Garden of Walking Pass is amazing, amazing. The Blue Tigers, that story, beautiful and baffling. And, and... On Edgar Allan Poe, one I like is The Angel of the Odd. And what's fun about it is it's not one of Edgar Allan Poe's bleak, um, lush, romantic, but bleak and dark um, stories. It, it, it's just the angel of the odd it's and it's one of those stories precisely it was all a dream or was it or was it and so of course you can go back and read and reread uh, but i also highly recommend to anyone ws Morm, not usually sort of thought of as as the sort of high literature but um his stories that they work very well and uh, pretty much any of them um if you don't like um south sea tales then don't you don't have to read those ones there are plenty set in um in the cold climates um, or there are plenty of ones where, where someone goes into the cold climate and thinks, oh, I've preferred it back in Celsius. <laughs> um, but it, 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 so WS Moore, he, he, he's very good at the story, uh, playing on the emotion, but also not necessarily uh, just ringing it to say, ah, oh, here's the bleak ending, they'll die at the end. Or, but it, 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 but it, it, so it's, um, it's, a, it's a very sort of mature style. That... I would also throw, sorry, one last recommendation. Uh, and it's a collection of short stories that has an overarching theme, so you may hate it. But Hemingway's Men Without Women, that that uh, contains the, the story Hills Like White Elephants, which is just phenomenal. And again, another example of what a reader has to bring to the experience of a short story to kind of unpack what he's implying there, what what isn't being said that is actually the subject matter of the whole story. So yeah, anything else that we wanted to say to kind of sum up the, the short story form or... If this was a James Joyce story, wouldn't we stop now? And so you leave oh, it with a question. And, and then, just leave it. Yeah. Leave the, the ambiguity of that silence. Yeah, what is the answer? It. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there is now. Yeah, or, or uh, I'll, I'll go to my, um, uh, my most beloved of stories, Cathedral. Right. Eyes closed and the silence just stretching out before us. All right, well, if you enjoyed this podcast and uh, the foolishness of that ending, then please do subscribe. Uh, We have new episodes every other week. And if you like what we're doing here, then please do give us a review on iTunes. Those five stars really do help. If you'd like to comment on anything that you've heard or offer feedback, please do drop us a line. Otherwise, I want to thank Thomas for joining me today. Thank you, Colin. And a great pleasure. And we will be back next time with another Campion Conversation. We hope that you can join us then. This episode brought to you by the Auditory Unboxing Podcast. Do you love those videos where people unbox loot crates and electronic goods, but you wish you could enjoy it without having to waste time looking at a screen? Well, why not try the Auditory Unboxing Podcast, the only podcast where we unwrap packages and over-exaggerate our surprise at their contents. All right, here we go. Oh, this is so exciting. Um, okay. Ah, I'm here. Oh, my goodness.
This is a really rare one of these. The Auditory Unboxing Podcast. Like and subscribe to hear more. Campion Conversations is a production of Campion College of the Liberal Arts, Australia.